Okay, y'all, open up with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're in Matthew chapter 2 as we continue this little mini Christmas sermon series in the first parts of Matthew. While you're opening up there, I hope you were listening and heard well about these candles. You know, we've been lighting them. They're wonderful things, and they're Bible verses that reveal some of these larger truths, hope and love, peace and joy today. Uh, the title of this sermon is, is that it's okay to cry at Christmas. You know, holidays are always one of those times where everybody around you says, be happy, and you look at everybody else with this kind of firm, concrete smile upon your face and say, that's right, be happy. And yet, sometimes, sometimes, there can be a little bit of stress involved, right? There can be a little bit of sadness. Maybe some people aren't with you. Uh, maybe it's because of deaths that have happened in your family this last year. Or maybe it's just because of COVID. You literally can't get over to see them. You know, our, uh, our parents, uh, Rebecca and I, you know, plans have been made for them to come over and see us. And plans have fallen through over and over because of different COVID complications. Maybe you all resonate with that. But whatever it is, it's okay to cry at Christmas. But... We don't just sit and wallow in our pain and sorrow because there is something more. There was a candle of joy that was lit today, right? We're going to see these two things kind of smash together today in our Bible text where there is immense sorrow and yet there is deep hope and peace and joy and love. We'll see that in our Bible text. I hope that it will be a blessing to you even as it has been a great blessing to me as I have studied and prepared from this word this last week. Our main point today is uh, it's pretty straightforward. I think you'll get it once we read the Bible uh, text itself. But our main point is that the birth of Jesus ushers in the age of prophecy fulfillment, which benefits God's people with highly focused action plans and deep spiritual hope. Prophecy fulfillment is what we'll see today. Before we read God's word, let us pray the Holy Spirit would use it in our lives. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would wield this word for us in the Christmas season to do work on our souls. Lord, we need work done. We need it done. And so, God, we ask that you would do it. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. 
she refused to be comforted because they are no more. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, it stands forever. Our prayer is that it would be effectual in our lives today. Now, remember that main point? I know it sounded wordy, but I hope you saw and maybe begin to understand. There's two prophecies that are fulfilled back to back that Matthew records. And so, this main point that the birth of Jesus ushers in the age of prophecy fulfillment, it benefits us with our two points, right? Which you heard in that main point. It benefits us with highly focused action points and deep spiritual hope. Let's start then with that first part. Highly focused action points. Verses 13, 14, and 15. The wise men have come and gone. They are the they in verse 13 for context's sake who went on their way upon a dream warning about evil King Herod. But the dreams don't stop there because now Joseph gets a warning to flee the country. Remember, King Herod's strong desire was to maintain his power and influence and he would stop at nothing to see those things preserved. Jesus was a direct threat to this wicked man. So Jesus and his family flee. Now, three things happen in very quick succession. Number one, there is a warning to flee. Number two, there is obedience to the warning. And number three, there is setup. There is witness to the prophetic fulfillment. Let me put it in terms of our text and you'll see what I mean. Joseph receives God's word. An angel came to him and said, hey, by the way, this is about to happen. Number two, Joseph listens to God's word that very night. Hey, you got to get up and we got to go, right? And then number three, he witnesses God's word fulfilled. Regarding that third thing, God's word being fulfilled, the prophecy fulfillment, well, I hope you saw it there. It's, it's out of Egypt, I called my son. Matthew's very explicit. This is exactly the, the prophecy that's happening. This is why this took place. That comes from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. I know that y'all are very familiar with Hosea chapter 11 in general, in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. But just in case you're not, it's more than a physical call, okay? In Hosea chapter 11, it's not just some... Um, a phone call like I might get if I'm in Lexington. Hey, Jeremiah, you got to get to downtown Columbia quick. And then I say, oh, out of Lexington, have they called Jeremiah? Right? I came to, to downtown Columbia. The prophecy has been fulfilled. No, that, that's purely physical, right? That happens all the time. Depending on what's going on, I might get a call and say, I got to get over there, you know, or whatever it is. But, but there's more. And as you open up Hosea 11, you'll see that it is a highly spiritual call. When you read it, it becomes immediately apparent that the call out of Egypt is a call out of unfaithfulness into faith, a call out of sinfulness into righteousness, a call out of reliance on yourself into reliance on the God who provides. Jesus' call out of literal Egypt puts a physical representation on the spiritual realities of the situation. Uh, since the time of God's people, when they needed exodusing out of Egypt, right? Do you remember that? The exodus? When they needed that, right? Since that time, Egypt has been a great physical representation of the, quote, unbelieving world, 
close quote, right? When you read it, you see that. Another great example of this in the Bible is Babylon, right? You see Babylon over and over. But that's a representation of physical reality of very deep spiritual truths, right? So Babylon really did reveal itself as an unbelieving place. But, but as you see it in Scripture, it takes on this spiritual meaning. And it only gets more and more heightened as we come even to the end, right? The book of Revelation. The same is true for Egypt. God does this, by the way, these physical representations, because we are physical beings who are helped by physical revelation. And if you're curious, this is exactly what happens as we take of the Lord's Supper, which we will do here shortly. It is a physical representation of deep and vast spiritual truths. It is a sign of the gospel of Jesus. In other words, like a literal green uh, interstate sign. It, it is pointing us to take the exit at the gospel of Jesus, right? And it's also a seal. Uh, it's what we hear, uh, the words in, in the Bible. It's a seal. And, and that seal, it, it, in a lot of ways, is like a, almost like a brand, uh, like a ring you would seal in the wax on, on something. You know, if you've seen maybe an old TV show or Maybe one of y'all have a wax seal ring. I don't know. That would be pretty cool if you do. Let me know. But, you know, typically it's probably in a TV show, right? You know, they, they put the wax in it and seal it. And once you see it sealed by, for instance, the king's seal, you know that it's the real deal. So we see a physical representation, a sign, and a seal of a deep spiritual reality. The fact that Jesus himself has taken on our sin, has paid the price, and given us his own righteousness. A physical representation of spiritual realities. Now, back to those uh, three things that Joseph had. Because remember, we're, we're looking at a highly focused action point, right? And so what does that mean? Well, remember, Joseph receives God's word, okay? He listens to God's word, and then he witnesses God's word fulfilled. This is the call on the Christian church and on every Christian of every century, everywhere, until Jesus returns. Receive God's word. That's what we're doing right now. That's why I have been called by God to do the very thing I am doing, proclaiming the word. This congregation has called me not to do all the other things. They have called me to proclaim the word and administer the sacraments. We get the other things because we're a family, right? But this is it, to proclaim, to receive God's word. Number two, listen to God's word. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing right now if you have the spiritual means, the eyes and the ears not to turn me off when I'm preaching, right? So it's one thing to show up and for me to proclaim words at you. It's another thing for you to take them, to listen to them, to go and to say, what do I do with these now? This is where the Christian church generally begins to waver, if you're curious. Everybody can come and receive. Not many go and listen. Uh, the next part we see is where the rubber hits the road. Witnessing God's word fulfilled. Where we see prophecy being fulfilled in this time of Jesus, we now see commandments being fulfilled in our time. This witnessing of God's word fulfilled is where we as Christians, not to be too Christianese, begin to do Christian things. Right? 
We do the things that we find in the Word. And, and this shouldn't make us uncomfortable. Uh, it does. It makes the world uncomfortable. It makes the church uncomfortable. But I don't know why. Because we, as followers of God, fully realize that it is God who has saved us. It is Jesus who was born on this very day, coming up in just five days, right? It's Jesus who came to earth to take our sins away, to pay the payment, because we know that we are the ones who cannot save ourselves. And so we profess faith in God who saves. And because of that, we acknowledge and believe that he raises in us a desire to do that which he has called us to do. This is not just receiving, not just lis listening, but actually witnessing God's word fulfilled in our life and in our church's life. It is fulfilling the commandments that God has given us. I was in a meeting just a couple days ago with uh, quite a few elders. And of this group of elders, more than three of them agreed on three primary commands from the Lord Jesus that the church must fulfill. Remember this point, highly focused action points. Here were the three commands that were generally agreed upon and I believe are quite, quite true. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. Third, go therefore and make disciples. Highly focused action points. Those are three highly focused moments, commands from God to those who can be like Joseph to receive God's word. To hear it first, right? You've got to hear it. Did you know that those were commands from Jesus? I hope so. I hope so. If not, go Google them. They're very important, okay? Second is to listen to them, though, not just to receive them and say, wow, very cool information. Thank you but rather to listen, to say, well, what does that mean for me? And then to witness it being fulfilled, to, to say, well, it means this, therefore I will go do. But take notice of this one thing. Highly focused is not highly choreographed, okay? Think about that. Jesus said, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go therefore and make disciples. Well, how? What do I do? Well, you do those things in the way that God has gifted you to, right? Well, how am I gifted? Why don't you talk to an elder? Why don't you talk to me? What kind of things are we doing at Centennial to do those things? Have you ever considered that? I think we received the word well. Y'all are here, right? Y'all are here too. I know y'all are watching and worshiping. We receive it well, generally speaking. We're here. We begin to waver on listening because we're not too sure what to do when we leave and then we fall flat when we say alright let's do it and so we need to think about that 2021 is coming what does it mean for us we can't just lock the doors COVID's still going to be around a little bit but that doesn't mean we stop being the Christian church how can we love the Lord with all our heart mind soul strength how can we love our neighbors how can we go therefore and make disciples to teach them to baptize them these are things that your session is thinking and praying on now, our diaconate, our leaders, and I would ask you, think on these things and pray on these things. They are of utmost importance, highly focused action points of the church 
that we must fulfill if we say that we are followers of the Lord Jesus, the one born, the one who is fulfilling this prophecy in the first place. The birth of Jesus ushers in the age of prophecy fulfillment, which benefits God's people with highly focused action points. And, number two, deep spiritual hope. Verses 16 through 18. Now, I gave y'all some homework this last week. Uh, kind of, I tried to stick it on Facebook, tried to get it out in the email. Don't worry if you didn't do it or if you're not on the email list or, or whatever. It's not going to hinder your reception of the word at all. The word still stands in its fullness, but I hope that you had chance to check out that poem by that uh, scholar, pastor, theologian, John Piper. Um, it, it's it's a, a, a fictional poem. It, it's not true. It's his kind of take on one piece of it, but it does have deep gospel truth built into it, and it's a strong illustration of the great need for Jesus that Jesus answers which is the evil of this world. Why was Jesus born into this world? Why? The answer is actually more multifaceted than you might think. Salvation of souls is certainly primary, but not the only thing that is remedied upon the inception of Jesus' birth. Okay? Many more things begin to happen, and one of those is the answer to the problem of evil, where Jesus begins to create a, a motion, a movement, an action towards a remedying of something that we have struggled with since the very beginning. How do we deal with this? What will we do? We can't do anything. Jesus can. This poem begins to grapple and wrestle with these types of things. It's, it's really focusing in on that haunting Bible verse that, that John Piper himself in the, in the foreword of this poem says that we, we quickly pass over these Christmas words that Herod slew all the male children, two years old and under. But the poet lingers, weeping, raging, looking at the dark spot in hope that any prick of light might become a portal for the sun. That's what the poem is about. The setting is that Jesus is coming back through Bethlehem some 30 years later, to fulfill why he came in the first place. He's on his way to Jerusalem to die a death for his people. And so as he comes by, he, in this poem, seeks out the inn where he was born in the back, in the manger. And according to the poem, the father who lost his sons and his wife recounts the day to Jesus. He shook his head but couldn't speak. Before I found the breath to scream, I heard the words, a horrid dream, kill every child who's two or less, spare not for aught nor make excess, let this one be the oldest here. And if you count your own life dear, let none escape. The father goes on speaking to Jesus. Why would he simply disappear and never come to help? They sat in silence and Jacob wondered at the stranger's tears. See, this is Jesus speaking with this man. And Jesus answers the father. And things are made very clear. I am the boy that Herod wanted to destroy. You gave my parents room to give me life. And then God let me live and took your wife. 
Ask me not why the one should live, another die. God's ways are high, and you will know in time. But I have come to show you what the Lord prepared the night you made a place for heaven's light. In two weeks they will crucify my flesh. But mark this, Jacob, I will rise in three days from the dead and place my foot upon the head of him who has the power of death. And I will raise with life and breath your wife and Ben and Joseph too and give them Jacob back to you with everything this world can store and you will reign forevermore. It is okay to cry at Christmas. Let me repeat with biblical authority. It is okay to cry at Christmas. Because there are people in this world that are evil enough to kill babies. And King Herod and his men were some of them, but not the only ones. Okay? It is okay to cry at Christmas because there are people that we miss who aren't with us right now. But it is also okay to hope. And to hope deeply. Because God grants deep spiritual assurance through the work of Jesus. I hope you noticed what prophecy was fulfilled. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 holds within it a depth of emotion from sorrow and sadness and sickness to joy and hope and peace and love. It is all there. There is a reality playing out in Jeremiah of almost the fullness from the fall to redemption all the way through. We see it all there. And what does Matthew say? But it is being fulfilled. Do you see it? Do you see the hopelessness apart from Christ? Because it's there. And do you see the hope? Do you see the hope of the new covenant? Because he is there too. Jesus is born. There is hopelessness apart from God in this world that is corrupted and filled with evil. But as you continue in Jeremiah 31, as you continue in Matthew chapter 2, as you continue in the fullness of God's revelation, you see that with God there is absolute hope because of his promises and his work on our behalf. It's what this chapter has become known for. It's the new covenant that Jesus has fulfilled, that his blood was shed for, and that he gives to us, and that we remember, and that we are blessed by, as we take in just a few moments. And so this incredibly sad prophecy, it's fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2. And at the very same time, hope is born into the world. The likes of which has never been seen before. Namely, God taking on flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. The new covenant. The way of salvation. The birth of Jesus. Ushers in the age of prophecy fulfillment. Which benefits God's people with highly focused action points. And deep, deep immeasurable spiritual hope. This is the Christmas gift from God to his people 
This is why we rejoice. It's why we sing. It's why we hope. It's why we love. Because God first loved us and sent his son knowing that he would take the evil of this world for us that we might not experience it anymore after this. This is the in-between. This is the not yet. This is the sojourning moment where we hope and we wish and we cry out with confidence because we know where we're going. We, where, we know where those who have gone before us have gone if they confess in the Lord Jesus. And we take hope and assurance there. Our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love. For that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above. And he leads his children on to the place where he has gone. Then let us with all one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord that hath made heaven and earth of naught with his blood mankind hath bought. Noel, Noel, born is the king of Israel, our savior at his birth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your fulfillment of prophecy. Thank you for showing us what we can do. Thank you for giving us hope as we seek to do it. Thank you for taking away our sin that we might be in right relationship with you again. Thank you, God, for who you are, that you would come from heaven afar. Lord, we pray and ask you, even as we sing, even as we prepare, Lord, that you would bless us and that you would keep us. God, you are so good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.